Welcome to Founders Focus, a podcast made for founders by founders. I'm Scott Case, CEO and co-founder of Upside, and I created Founders Focus to help share free resources and actionable advice. Together, we're building a community for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and founders to come together to tackle today's challenges. This podcast is powered by my awesome team at Upside. Please visit foundersfocus.com to join the live video sessions or to catch up on past topics. I am going to introduce briefly our co-host for today. Uh, the, Karen Kahn is the CEO and uh, the founder of iFundWomen. And uh, we should just stop there. That's like the most important thing. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk today about crushing the barriers to capital. Uh, we'd all like to make sure that the system changes, but it's not going to change anytime soon. And if you're out trying to raise capital and you're a woman or a person of color, you're going to have to fight your way through the myriad of mess that's there. And Karen has some great pro tips for you. So with that, Karen, why don't you tell us more about you? Well, thanks for having me, Scott. And thank you for being honest right off the bat about the issues that women and BIPOC entrepreneurs face raising capital because most hosts make it sound like, oh, what do you do? And, and you just like went right for it. So mad respect. So hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm Karen Kahn. I'm the founder and CEO of iFundWomen. iFundWomen, if you don't know, is a startup funding marketplace. We are a two-sided fintech marketplace with the expressed um, purpose of driving capital to women entrepreneurs. So we're a two-sided marketplace. On one side, we've got women-owned businesses around the world. There are 13 million here in the US. There are 165 million globally. And on the other side of the marketplace, you've got all of the people who wanna fund and support them from individuals to enterprises, to brands, to venture capital firms. And we make those matches happen in the middle. And we've got multiple products in the marketplace from an ed tech to an enterprise brokered grants product to a crowdfunding product that all ladder up to our number one core KPI, which is key performance indicator of funding volume for women. And um, to date, our numbers keep going up. We've driven over 70, it's actually now over $80 million in early stage startup capital to uh, women entrepreneurs, mostly here in the US that they wouldn't have had access to if we didn't hang up a shingle four years ago. So thank you for having me and I'm excited to be here. Well, that's awesome progress. And uh, we'll have to spend some more time after this investing and figuring out how we change that from an M to a B on the billions, uh, because that's really what uh, half the global population deserves to get access to, to build their businesses. Uh, you're, I want to start with your founder journey. You're a founder. You said, I think you said four years ago, four or five years ago, what What's your journey been like? Where did you start? Give us the highlights. And then how did you how did you end up where you're at now? So I've actually been a founder for longer than iFundWomen. I'm a second time startup founder. But, you know, they say an overnight success takes five to 10 years. So we're in year five at iFundWomen and people are just starting to know about us. So for all of the people watching, whether you're a second time founder or first time founder, it is you are in for a slog and it takes a long time to get there. And I did not wake up like this. So just like, let's just be clear. So I started my sort of entrepreneurial journey, if you can if you can say it like that, really as an entrepreneur at YouTube. So long story, very short, worked at Google and YouTube, grew up there, which was an incredible uh, education, frankly, from my mid-20s to my mid-30s on the interwebs. Learned everything about 
how the internet was going to be funded, which is through ads, performance-based ads. And I learned everything I needed to know about video, how to create video when I worked at YouTube. Um, you know, so I feel very, um, I don't want to say lucky because I actually purposefully chose YouTube as, I'm sorry, purposely chose Google in the early days when no one knew what it was and everyone was like going to Yahoo or Lycos or AltaVista or Ask Jeeves. Like this was like early golden times of the internet, olden times. So, um, so yeah, I was there for 10 years. And when Google acquired YouTube in 2006, I jumped over the fence. I worked on search for six years, which was great, but boring. And then I went over to YouTube. So I was like, Ooh, video, that's cool. So I'm going, I went over there. I've always been on the sales side, monetization, the fancy word that Google made up for sales, um, always on the sales side. And when I went over to YouTube, my job was to monetize the big creators. And back in 2006, the endemic YouTube audience was a bunch of young dudes, which was totally cool. They were the ones that had scale, right? Enough video views that we could package it up and sell to an advertiser. And that was my job. I ran the CPG vertical, the consumer package goods vertical. So long story medium with that, um, I was like, all right, my advertisers are not interested in spots and dots. Like the pre-rolls, boring banner blindness was just starting to happen. I was like, we got to think of something else. And Google doesn't really want to make things. They just want to be the pipes to stuff. So I had already had a very successful career there. I'd won two operating committee awards. I was trusted. My brain is in the Google hiring algorithm. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to just like go rogue. And I grabbed a couple of product people and a partner manager over at YouTube. I was like, we got to think of ways to, for these production companies to keep the lights on because they're not able to do it right now with the way that, you know, YouTube ads, the, the, the rev share was not keeping the lights on. So we developed the first native video ads on the web, also known as branded entertainment, also known as product placement. And that was very cool. So that was sort of my entrepreneurial uh, start, I guess you could say. Um, and I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never thought about starting my own business at all until at the end of my tenure at YouTube, which was like my, uh, my 10th year at Google, um, I had been making, you know, tens of millions of dollars for these dudes and God bless them all. Truly. Um, we don't have a problem with men around here. I was married to one once and that, that's Sally projects line that I always like to steal. Like we're not man haters. We're just, you know, it occurred to me. I'm like, why am I spending all my time making money for men? They don't need my help. Women do. And so I started like voraciously looking through the YouTube library for all of the female creators who could be monetized. And my idea at the time, I went to my boss who had just come over from Netflix and was in charge of like creating like premium content for YouTube back in the day. And I was like, hey, guess what? If we go through our entire YouTube library and we package up all the content made by women, we put a physical stamp on it, I can quintuple the price and sell it to Unilever. And he was like, that's a really cute idea, but we can't do it. It's totally illegal. Like we're not doing that. I'm like, okay. So I just put that idea for like YouTube for women in my back pocket, thinking I was going to do it at some point, but never really wanting to start my own business. Then I went to AOL to run video there for three years and still just wasn't ready to start my own business. And what pushed me to do it was this sort of one insight, which I'll leave you with in terms of like, how did I get to become an entrepreneur, which is I decided to become an entrepreneur and take the risk and give up my well-paying day job 
and my cushy benefits and the micro kitchens and the massages and all of the things that you get when you work for big tech because I was rich. I had already made it, right? So, and I didn't come for money, self-made woman. And I was at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So I wasn't worried that my kids weren't gonna go to college. I wasn't worried and I'm a single mom. So that's rare for a single mom who doesn't come for money to all of a sudden be wealthy and be able to make a decision for herself to go and start to try to run a business. And that is the one insight I would give, you know, as a wrap up to this question to your audiences, if you are not financially secure, um, don't quit your day job to become an entrepreneur because most startups fail and that is okay, but you do not want to fail going into debt and you do not want to fail having given up your great day job, period, end of story. It's a great story. And I think that being brutally honest about the fact that you had the means to do it is such an important part of, of the, the journey, because a lot of people think somehow it was magical and it wasn't magic. Right. And, and the thing was too, is that you, you actually worked for a long time at those jobs. It wasn't like you spent two years at Google and then decided to go start a company. So you also um, you probably fit the bill on the average, which is most uh, most entrepreneurs and founders are 40 years old when they when they decide to step out. And there's a combination of things, right? You've had almost 20 years of work experience at that point. You have domain expertise. You you have resources. You have connections. And so it's okay to be patient. Um, uh, so you don't have to do it right away. And the other thing that you that you highlighted for me, and then we'll dive a little deeper, is you know. <laughs> We all have ideas and we all see problems. And just because you you think, oh, I've seen a real problem and I know what to do about it does not mean it's the one that you should spend the next five to 10 years of your life chasing and be patient. The, the world will deliver an infinite supply of problems for you to solve if your eyes are open to them. Uh, so it's good that you kind of, because you could have gone and chased that you know, YouTube for women and you could still be there. Oh, chasing I that did, dream. homie. And it oh, Okay, let's hear it. Oh, I did. It failed miserably. So it's really funny you say that because so I pocketed this idea for YouTube for women without the trolls. Went to AOL, then I left and did it. And working at big companies does not prepare you for entrepreneurship. Just like, let's just marinate on that for a second. It just doesn't. Working at Google, YouTube, AOL prepares you for a life of luxury and it also just doesn't prepare you for, you know, when you're on the sales side, especially when you think of Google, right? Sales and, and engineering are literally two separate universes. They, they truly separate us, like physically separate us because they don't want any sales influence on the engineers, right? Understandably, they're building products for humans and we're just in charge of monetizing it. Um, so I didn't see any of the crappy alphas and betas that like were on the floor, you know, the cutting room floor. We got products to sell that were perfect. So I didn't know what went into building a tech company, which is what my first startup was and my second startup is, but now I know. Um, but I didn't have any idea what it meant to lean startup, which is an Eric Reese, um, famous product manager. Um, his book and his theory, which is test, learn, and iterate. I'm sure your audience knows a lot about Eric Reese, but read the book if, if you don't, if you haven't read it. But it's about test, learn, iterate. And it is a process by which you create product. And it is 
it is something that we didn't do. I didn't even do market research. I had this problem. I was pissed off when I worked at YouTube that there weren't female creators to monetize at that point. This was before like the Michelle Fonz and the Christine Limbs and the Bethany Motors and all these like amazing YouTube celebs. Issa Rae like was just starting on YouTube when I was there. She had like this crappy little show and like it had hardly any views. And now she's, you know, an Emmy award winning actress. So this was way early days. But um, just getting back to the point, I was, I had a problem personally with the YouTube ecosystem, but I didn't do any due diligence and any market research or any, you know, surveys, nothing with other women, forget women in tech, just women who like to watch videos or women who cared about other women as to whether they wanted this product. I was like, I want this product and I'm going to build it and I have the money to build it. So I'm doing it. And literally it was such a failure. So a couple of reasons why it failed. Number one, um, I didn't fail fast and fail cheap. I failed long and expensive. Okay. So um, these, are, these are not, you know, uh, sayings that I've made up. You've heard them many times before, but they're really true. Um, the second thing is, and this is, I'm going to give Reed, uh, Reed Hoffman a shout out on this one. He always said, and I learned from his podcast, Masters of Scale, um, if you're not completely embarrassed by your MVP, you're late to market. So we, I worked on this MVP. I, I didn't even know what an MVP was, to be honest. Those three letters were not in my brain. I worked on building the software. I hired expensive engineers to build this software without doing any market research, no business plan, no testing, nothing. Um, spent a ton of money. And by the time we put the product out, we, A, it was clunky. It was not a great product. B, we had no users. Like I thought this thing was going to be field of dreams, right? That's another sort of brainwashy thing that I came out of Google with was like, number one, your tech product has to be perfect. And number two, we're just going to print money because that's what I was used to. So it just wasn't the case. I truly was, was shocked at how massive of a failure this was. And as a Hail Mary to save the company, because we could not make payroll, we couldn't raise capital to save our lives. And I will say that like, Yes, iPhone Women is solving the problem of raising capital, and we'll talk about the problem and the systemic, you know, inequities in the funding ecosystem in a minute. And it was no different; it was worse back then. But to be fair, our product sucked, and I wouldn't have funded me either. Uh, so, so yeah, I did. I did try to solve that one problem, and it wasn't until the company was dying and we uh, were running out of money. I was like, I'm not putting any of my own money into this anymore. Um, I've done enough and we did a crowdfunding campaign. We did a Kickstarter to make payroll. We sort of fibbed our way in because Kickstarter's for original creative projects and we were making videos. So we sort of fibbed our way into like why we were, you know, creating this thing on Kickstarter because you have to get in. And uh, we got in and we delivered what we said we were going to deliver. So that's very important for crowdfunding. But we ended up using the money to sunset Company number one, bye-bye, literally sunset. Like that shit was shut off. Ooh, sorry. I swore on your show. We like we like swearing. It's one of uh, our features. My mother's going to, I'm going to get a nasty gram from my mother. Yeah, I get, like, I get the same, swear? I get the same messages. She hates titles where I, I did a, I wrote a LinkedIn article once that was called interviewing is fucked. That, that went over real well. Uh, so we're unfucking anyway. it right now, Scott. <laughs> there you go. Right now. Wait till the puppet comes out. It's going to be so epic. 
So, um, so yeah. So where was I? I don't even know. Well, I think you, you spun up, you, oh, you yeah. wound down one company and you spun up the next one. Yep. We wound down the first company. It was the insight of crowdfunding that got me going. So we crowdfunded for $30,000 to make payroll. And it was in that moment when I realized that crowdfunding, number one, is just sales and marketing, period, the end. Anyone can do it with a plan. Um, and at that point, it was just really popular for consumer tech, film, and, um, you know, and gaming. Those were 94% of the highest grossing crowdfunding campaigns. And it was really Kickstarter and Indiegogo at that point were the, were the crowdfunding platforms around. Um, 94% of the highest grossing campaigns were in those three categories, consumer tech, film, and gaming. And they were by male creators. So I became maniacally like focused on this crowdfunding thing. I'm like, wait a minute, why isn't everybody telling all entrepreneurs, especially women who are amazing storytellers, why isn't everybody telling people that crowdfunding should be the first stop on their funding journey to prove demand for their product or service before they invest in supply. And by supply, I mean wasting years of your life chasing an equity round that you're never gonna get, or even worse, going into debt, running up your credit cards, finding a business that no one wants. Like that's the epitome to me of fail fast, fail cheap, fail forward, learn, move on. Cause all you're doing is raising cash, right? And so you're not going into debt, it's not a loan and you're not wasting time. It's like fast access to capital. So of course I was like, all right, why isn't there a crowdfunding platform for women? Why isn't there one that helps you make your video? Because let's face it, making the video is like one of the hardest things and one of the number one barriers to people getting their campaigns live. Um, and and why, isn't, why isn't anyone teaching anyone how to do this? It's like not that hard. Like why isn't there any real methodology? And there were books, to be fair, I had done no due diligence with this crowdfunding campaign, zero. This is a theme that I'm now like happily out of this theme. But before I was like all, I don't want to call it ego. It more is probably like um, uh, confidence. I say an abundance of confidence. Yeah. And also working at Google your whole life, we printed money. The sales job there was not that hard. It was more like, hi, how much do you want to buy? I mean, you know, again, I'm a no BS lady. I'm going to just tell it like it is. And like, yeah, it was, it was an amazing place to be but it was easy living, man. Once you were in and you performed, it was easy breezy. So I just, you know, anyway, getting back to the point of crowdfunding and why it's so important to do it first is because it's really just a demand gen platform. So we sunsetted failed startup number one. And in October of 2016, we bought the URL ifundwomen.com for $2.99 on GoDaddy which was both very sad because nobody wanted it and also very exciting because that was the first choice for my domain. I'm a big believer in just telling people what you do, right? Not making it so hard for people to figure out. And obviously coming from Google, like I have a very good understanding of SEO and um, I just wanted people to know what we did. So we got our URL. We produced a super scrappy MVP. We called her Frankenstein. She was, I, so at least I'd learned in the second startup to, you know, and this is another gem to drop for all the new startup founders out there. Again, make your MVP 
as cheaply as possible and pick the one thing you want users to do when they come to your thing in order for you to get some testing and some, some data to understand how they're interacting with whatever you're building, an app, a website, you know, whatever, uh, you know, a t-shirt, it doesn't matter what it is. You have to have a beta product. And so we built a super scrappy MVP for like, I think $22,000 because we had to use some of the money to make the video series that we said we were going to do in the Kickstarter. And um, it was built on a WordPress page with a word, with a crowdfunding plugin, a Slack integration. And then like we had another subdomain on Squarespace with like our product marketing pages. I mean, it was truly Frankenstein. And we hung out a shingle. I put up a, like a Facebook post, no boosting, nothing just to, you know, my community of ladies. And I was like, Hey, uh, we it's, there's apparently a funding gap problem. Um, and if you are an entrepreneur and you have need funding, if you want to try out our super Frankenstein-y product, um, it probably will break, but I will make your video for you for free. I will teach you how to do it. If you need capital, just like fill out this Google form. And I thought I was going to get like 20 friends, like just feeling bad for me, like maybe filling it out, but not really following through with it because crowdfunding is you're putting your business out there. Let's like you are here and you are marketing your business. We had 200 applications in a week from strangers, from truly from strangers. And I was like, oh, this is actually like a bigger problem than we thought. That's Well, not only is it a bigger problem, but I just want to hone in on the product part. And then I want to turn to like the way you swim past the other barriers because you've, you've highlighted a few things here. One is not only is it access to capital, but you've actually demonstrated that there's demand for the product. Right. So you've done two things with the with, in one shot. And if if you can't get anybody to pay attention after you've done it, then you may have the wrong problem that you're trying to solve or you may have the wrong solution to the problem. Usually, if you have the right problem, even if you have a crappy solution, you'll have people raising their hands and say, I have that problem. Right. Even if your solution is for shit. So, you know, the first step is, did anybody else have the problem and care about it? Yeah. So so tell us a little bit about. You know, fast forward past this, you've done a lot of things. You raised the capital. What advice do you have knowing what you know now and having seen the different campaigns you've done and all that? What are the things that if someone's kind of in the early stages of their fray, what are the two or three things you think that really are important to get that first, that first funding or that first opportunity with that, with their product or their service? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say number one, don't go it alone. If you're watching this and you're at the very beginning of your journey, do yourself a favor and find a co-founder or two. I did not have a co-founder. I was a solo founder in my first startup. And that's not, it's one of the many reasons why we failed, but uh, it's widely known that, you know, two or three co-founders are exponentially more successful. You will raise more money. You will just, your company will be more successful, period. So don't go it alone. And if you cannot, find a co-founder because it's not easy, right? So I, my two co-founders are Kate Anderson and Sarah Summers. Hi, Kate and Sarah, giving you a shout out. Um, and they, uh, we worked together for two years at the first failed startup. And so I, we dated before we got married, right? And that's like a big thing around finding a co-founder. You want to date before you get married because getting a divorce when you're a co-founder is a whole other episode. So first piece of advice is don't go it alone. And if you can't find a co-founder, find 
a coach or a mentor. And for the women listening and also for the men, because we have men in our coaching program, we have a very robust coaching program that literally we become your ride or dies through your entire startup journey from idea to exit, not just through your funding. It's also going to be through, you know, your next round of capital. You might raise VC. You might be needing to get a PPP loan. You might need to figure out how to build a low-tech MVP. We coach on a million different topics and it's private one-to-one coaching with a, with a subject matter expert. So, um, so yeah, don't go it alone is my like number one piece of advice. Um, and then my next thing is like, we are inundated as new founders with this idea that VC makes you successful. Venture capital makes you successful. And that's a big bunch of BS. Don't get sucked into the entrepreneurship porn is what we call it. Um, I think that, you know, for so many of us, and especially for women, because there are so few female role models who have made it, like we're all celebrating Whitney at Bumble, right, for IPOing. We, you know, we've all been celebrating Emily Weiss at Glossier. We've all been celebrating, you know, I can name them, you know, Ann Wojcicki from 23andMe. I can name them on like maybe two hands, the unicorn female founders. So for most of us and for most male founders too, you know, you don't need to be a unicorn. It's okay to be a lifestyle business. A lifestyle business PS means you're a $500 million business. You're less than a billion dollars. It's pretty darn good. So um, VC is very seductive, but it absolutely should not be the first thing you're thinking about. First thing you're thinking about is building a product or a service that strangers want to buy. That is all you should be focused on in the beginning phases of your startup. So number one, don't go it alone. Number two, don't get sucked in by VC. Unless you're like in deep tech or deep data or like bio or something that like you need VC to build your thing. It's a whole other discussion. But for, you know, most of the entrepreneurs out there who are not in those, in those sectors, don't focus on venture capital at first at all, in fact. And then the third thing is, um, um, the third thing was what? The third thing was what? I don't remember what my third thing was. Maybe well, you've talked a lot about crowdfunding. Maybe it's about the fact that you can use crowdfunding as a tool, as an on-ramp. Don't go it alone. VC is, is not for everyone. Yeah. And crowdfund first. Don't go into debt funding your startup. There's plenty of crowdfunding platforms. If you, you know, if you're a dude watching this, like go to Kickstarter and Indiegogo, like, you know, go test demand for your product before you invest in supply. So yeah, I think there were four things. The third thing last time was like different, but whatever. It's another nugget. Enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. You can so, tell I'm unscripted. My team's like, stay on script. I'm like, mm, really? Okay. <laughs> I, I I don't I haven't been able to stay on script ever. My whole life is like a off script. Uh, <laughs> so that's why we're popular, Scott. People oh, like the real deal. That's probably people like it. the unscripted. <laughs> well. I like to call it authentic. Authentic, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. If you you could flip your hair if you wanted to, I'll I do it. The, the hair, hair has gotten a little bit flippable lately. It's gotten flippable, so just it's something to keep in mind. I'll give my best hair flip uh, for all of you. Fabulous. <laughs> so, so talk about the bridge, right? So, let's say you've gotten yourself started. You've got, you've done your crowdfunding, you've raised capital and you're down the path where you raise enough capital to get things going and you're, you need another injection of fuel, right? Mm-hmm. You need more cash. And, and let's talk about it in the, in the context of 
you know, instead of tens or hundreds of thousands, you're now playing into the, all right, in order to expand this business, we need millions. And, and let's just focus on, on, uh, you know, female founders, because you yeah. might know a thing or two about doing that. What are the barriers that, that, you know, female founders or women founders typically run into? And then what are the ways to overcome them? What are your strategies yeah. to kind of get past whatever those barriers are when you're trying to move to the next rung of the ladder? Absolutely. So super quick, the problem we're solving at iPhone Women is that there's a lack of funding options for women entrepreneurs. Less than 1% of companies, regardless of the gender of the founder, will ever raise venture capital. So what do the other 99% of startup founders do? They max out their credit cards or they take out loans and no one should go into debt funding their startup. We talked about that. And for women, the funding gap problem is egregious. So out of the 300, roughly the $300 billion of VC capital deployed, um, every year in this country, female founders received 2.3% of it in 2020, Scott case, which we went backwards. In 2019, we were riding high at 2.8%. And we went back five, uh, 0.5 percentage points uh, in 2020, which is gross. And even grosser, female founders of color received 0.64%, 0.64% of VC. But the funding gap problem is not just relegated to venture capital, right? There are systemic biases that are riddling our financial services system up and down from the fact that women-owned businesses get lower loan amounts and higher loan rates than their male counterparts. Like, Scott, if you and I went into a bank with bags over our heads or not with bags over our heads and, you know, we had the same exact paperwork, traction, business, the same thing you would get 50% more capital at a lower rate than I would. And those are just facts. And in some states, including the ones that I live in, at some banks, women still have to have a male co-signer on their business loan. Like this is actually happening, guys. So, you know, the systemic biases that have been, and, and, that have been baked into the algorithms that are telling the lenders or the VCs who to fund these algorithms are built by humans. They're antiquated. And at iPhone Women, we're literally rewriting the code on why women should deserve to get the funding, right? There's so many studies out there around the efficacy of women entrepreneurs. Once we get over the confidence gap, which is absolutely real, and we can talk about that in a second, but once we get over the confidence gap and decide to jump into the startup pool, women are actually more, are better entrepreneurs. We drive more dollar Per do dollar in dollars in revenue per dollar invested um, per a BCG uh, study that recently came out. First Round Capital did a study of the 300 of their portfolio companies and found that a um, company with a female founder on the team drove a 63% higher return for the fund. There are studies upon studies that show that women entrepreneurs actually drive more to the bottom line. It's a lot of what we've read about with diverse brains on a board diversity on a, you know, in an executive team, those teams just make more money. And so um, it's investing in women is just frankly smart business. And I don't know how we get VCs and banks to, um, to get it or listen, or I, I call it the give a shit problem, to be honest. Um, I don't, I don't have a solution to how to get other people to care, but we have a solution that literally provides funding to those who don't have access to it. It's alternative sources of funding for people that don't have access to it. And I have to say that 
our marketplace works because it's not just one type of funding. So you've got crowdfunding to prove demand. You've got our coaching, our ed tech product, which teaches you how to not only how to crowdfund, but how to have a business, how to start your business in a smart way, avoiding all the rookie mistakes that I made. Truly, all my mistakes got poured into this ed tech and more. Um, we crowdsourced every founder mistake made and we have built curriculum to correct it. And it works because we know that the people that go through our coaching program raise 27x the crowdfunding industry average. 27x. It's a lot more money. And then on top of that, we've got the enterprises. So this is interesting, Scott. We found that in terms of solutions, we found that the enterprise, so brands like American Express and Visa and Novartis, a pharma company, one of their brands, Sustain, um, Adidas, or for those in Europe, Adidas. Um, you know, the list goes on. Jane Walker, um, which is Johnny Walker's sister brand. There are thousands and thousands of brands living with Unilever, there's another one, um, who care about funding and supporting women entrepreneurs because they're their customers. Like, I'm a woman entrepreneur. I run an SMB, right? So I'm buying all the SMB products, like whether it's Intuit stuff, and these are not ads, but just like telling you what we use. Like, we use MailChimp, we use QuickBooks, we use, you know, all the startup-y things that everyone else uses. But I also make all the purchasing decisions for my household and eight women make 80% of the purchasing decisions. So consumer brands want access to our highly coveted audience. And so do also, you know, brands that care about SMBs like banks and, and the like. So we have this brokered grants product that is a completely data-driven product that allows brands to tap into, not with advertising, with grants, tap into their prospective customers. So really thinking creatively, we've just had to think super creatively about how to solve this problem because the institutions are not seeming so interested in solving it, quite frankly. Um, you got to route around it. I, yeah, I mean, and it hopefully is getting better. I mean, I don't know if it is or not, but I mean, it's clearly not. We've gone backwards with VC. So um, in terms of what women, so that's the problem, right? In terms of what women can do, right? Like, cause right now is actually the best time to be a woman and a BIPOC entrepreneur. If you are a BIPOC female entrepreneur, now is your time, my friend. Now is your time because, you know, just Google, you know, grants BIPOC women entrepreneurs or don't BIPOC is too inside baseball for a lot of the corporations. So, you know, grants for black women entrepreneurs, Latinx women entrepreneurs, whatever it is, there are, you know, so many companies that are doing grants and participating with iFund women who can help you. So in terms of just like if I was starting a business now and what I would focus on, the first thing I would focus on is having a product or service that people want to buy. Strangers want to buy. Have a product or service that strangers want to buy. Because if you don't have that, you don't have a business. And number two is don't spend a ton of money building your prototype, your MVP, your pilot. You can build a codeless app using Bubble. Again, none of these are ads. I'm just giving you know information. You can build a codeless app. You can do, you can use a Google doc to find out what you need to know about whether people want your product. You know, you can use Facebook, Instagram. You can use so many ways to figure out whether your problem is something worth solving 
and the product or service you're thinking about building uh, may or may not work. So just don't spend a ton of money building your first thing. And then finally, again, don't go it alone. Like come to us, we are going to help you. We have a very robust free coaching program where every day you can come and talk to a coach, you can come to a workshop, you can be in our Slack community, you can network with us. We've got so much free programming that is no BS. It's not like inspo, it's not inspirational. It's actually like, we'll scare the shit out of you, but it will get you going. We're gonna give you lists, we're gonna give you a ton of things to do, but we're gonna get you funded and we're gonna help you build a profitable, sustainable business, which is the goal. That's awesome. Well, so I'm going to get, we're going to move to our lightning round. So think of these as answers in a tweet. We'll give you maybe two tweets, um, not too sweet. So uh, first question up is uh, with crowdfunding, do you have to be concerned at all about your product getting copied, ripped off, somebody else doing it? The best question. Okay. God, with a tweet, I'm terrible at this. Um, It's not in the idea. It's in the execution. Pretty good. You got in a subtweet. I totally agree. It's about execution and, and more than anything else. I could hand somebody an idea and they can't do anything with it, even if it's brilliant. But if you get a team, they can get after it. And a lot of investors do, uh, you know, an A team with a B idea is much better than a, an A idea with a B team. Totally. All right. Are the majority of women going to iFund women um, pre-revenue? Are they typically seed stage or is it run the gamut? It actually runs the gamut and we saw, well, shit, I'm supposed to do this in a tweet. We work with companies across the entire startup journey, literally from idea to exit. We've got probably an equal number of pre-revenue startups and post-revenue startups. Startups that have raised their seed round are still with us. Um, so it really runs the gamut. All right. This one's going to be a little harder, but how, how aligned, have you been in a situation where your team your team's values um, started to either with, with a partner or a co-founder started to veer off or you started to split. And, um, and how do you, how far do you hold the line? Did you ever find yourself in a spot where you might've been tempted to compromise your values in order to accomplish some other objective? No. And here's why we know what our number one North star KPI is, which is funding volume for women. So if you, what you're doing, we call it, what's my FJ, what's my funding job. If you're doing a task that, that, that doesn't map to our North Star KPI, you're not doing that task. So no, is the Good. That's great, yeah. Having a, the clarity of a goal and objective is really critical to it all. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll round out here. What's your, what's your like number one pro tip for, uh, for anybody out there trying to get their idea off the ground? Just start, start, just get over yourself, put your ego aside. It's gonna be mortifying. You're gonna feel uncomfortable. You're gonna feel like you're gonna wanna puke every other minute. Just start and don't go into debt funding your startup. Awesome, this was great. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Karen, for being here and for what you're doing with iPhone Women. Uh, there's been a bunch of stuff in the chat, but uh, I, ifundwomen.com, as that was the 299 URL. So you should be able to remember that because it's what they do. And uh, if there are people who want to volunteer or help, you said there's coaching. I assume there's some places for people to sign up if they want to yes. participate. Yes. And Excellent. also I want to make, I want to make it 
clear that like we actually have a lot of dudes on the platform, male and female co-founder teams. We actually just have dudes on there. We have men that we coach. We, we are not like a man hater club. We are open to anyone that wants help truly. So if you're guys watching this and you're like, I want coaching, come get coaching. We will be happy to help you truly. Excellent. Very good. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Founders Focus. What did you think? You got any feedback for us? Got a topic that you'd like us to discuss or maybe a future co-host? We'd love to hear from you. Just hit me up on LinkedIn at T. Scott Case and uh, join us at foundersfocus.com to stay up to date with the latest episodes and join us live every week at our Founders Focus sessions. Hope to see you there.